Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Once again, we thank you for what today is. The day of of your resurrection. The day when hope was introduced into the world. Light was introduced into darkness. Our greatest enemy, death, was defeated. We have been offered a way to be restored to you. To have eternal life. To have the Holy Spirit and all his power and guidance in the here and now. Lord, we thank you for this tremendous gift of all that you went through for us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot of you know this. A lot of you don't know this. uh, But I was born and raised in central New York State in the Finger Lakes region uh, outside of Syracuse, New York. Uh, When I was in high school, the youth group that my church, my home church sponsored did a a challenge. If you could learn a certain number of Bible verses and recite them from memory, you'd be able to go on a trip to Niagara Falls. Going to Niagara Falls was the cool thing to do if you lived in upstate New York. There wasn't much else to do there. Long story short, my younger brother and I met that challenge, and so we were able to go with some other teens from the youth group over to Niagara Falls for one weekend that year. And if you've never been to Niagara Falls, I can describe it most simply to you in two phrases. At least in Canada, you have the falls themselves over here, natural, elegant, majestic, and then over here you just have a bunch of neon. That's Niagara Falls in a nutshell. Waterfalls themselves and neon. If you've never been there, you've now felt like you've been there. Within that neon part of Niagara Falls, there's this attraction called Ripley's Believe It or Not. Uh, It's a building with recreations of all sorts of odd fascinations from the animal and human world, many of which are uh, Guinness World Record holders. There's a certain part in this uh, attraction, where at least, at least there was 15 years ago, where there was a giant mirror, and the sign on the mirror tells visitors to make the silliest and weirdest face you can in this mirror. Visitors go up to the mirror, making the weirdest face they can think of, not thinking at all, at the very next stop on this walking tour is a trip behind This mirror, where you discover that in reality, what you thought was just a plain, regular mirror is actually a two-way mirror where you can watch the next round of visitors making their weirdest faces that they can think of. See, when you go up to this mirror at first, you're led to believe that what you see is a certain reality when what's really going on is that you've been duped into thinking something that isn't really true. For a lot of people, that's what life is. Thinking you have life all figured out. When in reality, you've just been duped into thinking that something that you know, or that you think you know, isn't really true. In fact, that's how a lot of people think about the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and even of the existence of God in the first place. Recently on social media, I saw someone divulge that the meaning that they used to feel in connection with faith in God, they saw they can replace with finding meaning in relationships with friends and family. I think this viewpoint is similar to a lot of people. 
And that got me thinking. Is faith in God, even in the basic existence of God, really that so easily transferable? And that brought me to another question. If this so-called faith is so easily transferable to something else, was it really faith to begin with? In short, what's real? You might be sitting here today because you saw our sign on the corner or the banner on the fence or someone invited you or you just knew it was Easter Sunday and you Googled area churches and decided to come here today. We're thankful that all of you are here no matter what the, the cause is. Maybe you've been raised in the church and have been going to church for years. The question I want to challenge us all with, especially on this Easter Sunday, when there's this heightened sensitivity and connection with any kind of concept of faith is, what is my faith really in? And the question that directly comes out of that question, what kind of connection and meaning does that have to do with my everyday day in and day out, what happens when I die, life? How is it all connected? And I want us to be honest with ourselves today, completely honest with these answers to these questions. And you know what? It's perfectly okay to answer these questions with, I don't know. I really have no idea. And you know why? You know why that's perfectly okay? Because that's a starting point. There's no shame in that. I would rather have you walk away from this morning questioning where your faith really is than continue to fool yourself into thinking something about yourself that isn't really true. And then when difficult days come, there's no anchor to cling to. I would rather you lay everything bare before God, since he sees all of it anyway, and go back to square one and start rebuilding your faith on a foundation that is actually true, sure, and will weather any storm that comes in the future. There were a few people in the Bible who thought they had faith all figured out. They thought they knew what following Jesus and believing in him really meant. They thought they had a sure foundation for faith in Jesus. However, we will see where their foundations really were how Jesus calls them out on that, what we can learn today from that, and how these questions can make or break our faith. Will these questions prove that our faith is really founded on Jesus, or will these questions prove that our faith is really founded on something else? And these challenges may seem a little blunt, or you might be thinking, all right, come on, listen, it's Easter Sunday. I just wanted to come here, hear a nice Easter sermon with my family so I can either go home or go out and enjoy a nice Easter dinner. But here's the thing. I don't want to give you fluff because fluff ain't going to cut it when tough times in life come. Fluff ain't going to cut it in a real world. Life stinks. It's difficult and hard and dark and depressing. That's the reality of this world, cursed by our ancestors' choice to want to be like their creator themselves rather than just trusting the plan of their creator. What I want to do today is I want to equip you today. 
I want, to, I want you to leave this place with something stirring in your heart. A drive and a force for a faith that will come out the other side of any metaphorical hurricanes we will experience in this life. Intact and stronger than ever before. Fluff ain't going to do that. Real, hardcore truth of what faith in Jesus really means and how you can have that is the only thing that's going to do that. So with that said, let's all turn to Luke chapter 9. It's in the New Testament. We're going to be in the very last section of chapter 9 in verses 57 through 62. And if you brought your Bible with you, awesome. Please turn there. If you didn't, that's also perfectly fine. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. You're not left out. Please also turn to Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. And if you have no idea where that is, there's also no shame in that. Ask, ask somebody who looks like they know where it is. Hey, show me where this is. Or look it up in the table of contents in the front. Don't feel awkward. I just want everybody to see all this at the same time. In Luke 9... Things are starting to ramp up in Jesus' three-year ministry here on earth. He started out as a nobody until John the Baptist baptized him and declared to the world, this is the guy, this is him. This is the God-man who will pay for the sins of this world. Following that, Jesus started gathering guys to follow him and become his disciples. In time... The crowds around Jerusalem were so desperate to hear the truthful things Jesus was teaching about what God's kingdom was really all about that they began to swell with countless people until one day Jesus miraculously fed way over 5,000 of them with nothing but five small loaves of bread and two fish. The question that's starting to form in these people's minds are, who is this guy? I mean, really, who is this guy? What does it mean to follow him when he says, come follow me? What does it mean to have faith in him? Have faith in him in what way? That he's the prophesied deliverer? That he's God? That he's just merely some nice guy spouting off bumper sticker sayings about how we all just need to love each other? These questions have also come up in our minds as well, no doubt. In our verses this morning, Jesus has conversations with, with three different unnamed guys who each have a desire to follow him in some way. Through Jesus' responses, we'll see what true faith in him really does mean. The first guy comes up to him, comes up to Jesus and says this, verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? And you know what? I think the dude was pretty sincere about it, too. I will follow you wherever you go. I think he really meant it. Jesus' response to this man was this, verse 58. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Essentially, Jesus' response is, Are you sure about that? Really? Wherever I go? I go into some pretty unfriendly places. And on top of that, if you really want to follow me wherever I go, you better be prepared to give up any and all earthly comforts. In fact, I don't even have a bed. I don't even have a home. 
Are you really committed to what following me wherever I go really entails? And we don't get the first guy's response, and I think there's a reason for that. The silence of the text gives a strong indication of the silence this man gives in response. He's left speechless. He doesn't know what to say. That's the first question of challenge towards our faith that we have. If we lost everything for our faith, and all we had left was our faith, would we really still have faith? See, a lot of people question their faith whenever something bad happens to them. And granted, in this world, because of sin, people have some really unspeakably horrific things happen to them. Their response, somewhat understandable, is, I have faith in God. I believe in him. Why would he do this to me? Why would he do this bad thing to me? That then causes them to seriously consider, and a lot of cases follow through with, tossing that faith out the window. But here's the thing. Jesus never promises that if you have faith in him, that nothing bad will ever happen to you in that faith. In fact, he promises the exact opposite. He tells his disciples that their own family members are going to turn them in to the, to the faithless authorities for punishment and even death just for simply following him and telling the world his message of truth and love. So is your faith in Jesus really still faith in him even if and after you lose your job, your income, your home, your mode of transportation, and you're forced to live on the streets in hiding, living homeless, with nothing to your name but your faith. You might say, that would never happen. That would never happen to me here. It's happening right now to followers of Jesus all around the world. Believers' homes are being burned down. They're being fired from their jobs. They're having all their earthly possessions commandeered by the government and they're forced to live in hiding, and all that they have is their faith. The only difference between us and them is that for now, we're blessed to live in a nation where that's not happening, at least right now. But you know what? By the way the world's going, that's a very real possibility. So that's, this is the first question of challenge we need to ask ourselves about our faith. If everything is ripped away from us, and all we have left is our faith, do we still have that faith. That's why we all need to ask ourselves the question, if literally everything I have materially was ripped away from me and I didn't even have a place to sleep at night, would I still have faith in God's love and plan for me? That's an awfully hard question to ask. But it's a crucial one if we're really taking a hard look at what our faith really is. Jesus next puts out a job offer to another bystander, verse 59. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And this is Jesus' response, verse 60. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. You might be thinking, whoa, that escalated quickly. Wait a second, this, 
This seems pretty heartless of Jesus to say in response to this poor guy, doesn't it? All the guy wanted to do was bury his father who apparently just died. Apparently, however, the guy had been implying that he did, that he did want to follow Jesus, but once he found out that he couldn't tie up loose ends before doing so, he didn't want to anymore either. See, what was most likely going on was that his father hadn't died yet, but was going to die soon, and this man wanted to wait until after that, possibly to get his inheritance. And then once everything was squared away, then he would follow Jesus. So Jesus was basically saying, let those who have no interest in following me, the spiritually dead, let them continue to do the things that have occurred in this world for thousands of years. If you really want to follow me, you can't waste any time doing it. You have to make up your mind right here, right now, that if you really and truly want to follow me, that whatever I ask you to do, no matter how much it doesn't make any earthly sense or how inconvenient or scary it might be, or even how much it hurts physically or emotionally, you have to do it. Jesus was making the clear point that nothing in this world and the way that it sees things and the way that it does things can have anything to do with the follower of Jesus. Followers of Jesus listen to one person and one person alone, Jesus himself. No matter how loud the world gets or how enticing the things of this world are or how much we want to invest in the things of this world, if we truly are a follower of Jesus, what that means is that you cling to God and his plan for you and renounce the world. To walk towards Jesus equals walking away from the things of this world, the way this world thinks and the way this world processes things and even thinks is right. The Apostle Paul said exactly this when he wrote to the church in Rome. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think, the way that God thinks, the peaceful way. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. If you want God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect, it cannot be connected to the world. It cannot be connected with chasing after the world. It's only connected we're letting God transform you into a new person. If you want one foot in the world and one foot following Jesus, then you really don't want Jesus. When push comes to shove and you have to choose between the way the world does things and the temptations of this world and doing what you know Jesus has called you to do, both in obedience to him and in fulfilling his plan for you, what you choose on any given day and in any given situation will reveal where your faith really is in your everyday decisions. Lastly, one more guy approaches Jesus. It's as if he's thinking to yourself, those other two guys were noobs. They weren't ready for Jesus' response and it caught them off guard. I'm going to tell Jesus that I'm going to follow him and to prove my superiority over these two boneheads, I'm going to first give my stipulation that I want, except it will be one that even Jesus himself can't deny. So he says, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Surely Jesus can't deny me that. The stipulation that this guy 
thought that even Jesus couldn't deny him was to put his human relationships ahead of what Jesus wanted for him. And I think this one hits closest to home for a lot of us. If we had to make a choice between our family and friends and Jesus, which one would we choose? That's an incredibly hard question and choice to have to make, isn't it? Let's just be honest. I would have a very difficult time choosing between my wife and my kids and my parents and siblings and Jesus if it came down to that. On the surface, that seems like a very unfair challenge to us. That's the exact challenge that Jesus puts to this guy, verse 62. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, if it came down to it, and you had to choose and long after one thing or another, would it be Jesus or another human being, no matter how close they are to you? Again, it shows how much we're really willing to give up for our faith in Jesus, and therefore where our faith really is. Jesus gave an all-too-scary warning to his disciples as to what their faith very well may cost them when he tells them, Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I have come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart. Three in favor of me and two against, or two in favor and three against. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. And for a lot of us, this is an all too real situation, isn't it, in our families? We may be the first one in our families to have faith in Jesus when nobody else in our family does. These are some very difficult words to swallow, aren't they? But once again, Jesus' point was, how much is your faith worth to you? Is it worth even losing contact and familial warmth and friendliness with your closest family members? How much is your faith worth to you? In all three of these responses from Jesus to three different guys, they all present the same challenge to us today, right here, right now, and this is it. If you lost everything in this life, your home, any sense of earthly comfort or peace of mind whatsoever, any status in this world or trust in this world, and even all of your closest family members and friends, if they disowned you and shunned you for your faith, and even sought to kill you, and even if you were faced with losing your life itself, and all you had was your faith in Jesus, would that be enough? Would it all be worth it? The answers to these questions reveal honestly, with no fake smile plastered on, where your faith really is, and who it really is in. Some of you might be sitting here answering that incredibly tough question with, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I don't know if it would all be worth it. And because of that, I don't know where my faith really is. And that's okay, because that's a starting point. Don't, like the men in our account today, just shove it to the back of your mind and not think it matters. Don't remain silent about it. Start processing through it. Start talking with someone who you see does have a strong faith in Jesus. Because here's the thing. One day, no matter how much we try to scrounge and try to keep 
all that we hold dear close to us and hold it as tightly as we can, one day we will be all disconnected from it. One day, when the heart machine were hooked up to flat lines, we will lose all of it. And on that day, the only thing that will matter is who our faith really was in all that time. One day, all that will matter is who we were fully committed to in this earthly life. The Bible says that God created us humans in order to have a full relationship with us, pure, faithful, and eternal. We were supposed to have all of who God is, pure, untainted love, joy, peace, faithfulness, goodness, and hope. In short, God himself for all of eternity. We were supposed to live forever with God, enjoying all of who he is. But one day, by way of temptation and deceit, we decided that we didn't need God anymore. We thought we could disconnect ourselves from him as an electric appliance gets unplugged from an electrical outlet and be perfectly fine on our, our own, creating our own destinies. That fully connected relationship with God was broken that day. And because of that, ever since, every human being that has ever existed has been broken. And this world became broken. Since we loved our lives without God more than loving them with God, he, he would not be mocked. And so he instituted that the fitting consequence and payment for that injustice was that we would lose the lives that we had so desperately clung to with independence from him. Not only would we lose our earthly lives someday, but the ultimate payment would be to lose an eternal connection with him following that earthly life. Instead, the just and fitting consequence was that we'd be banished to a place where God and all of his characteristics were not. See, in this world, broken as it is, we still experience glimpses of love. We still experience the light of hope comfort in dark times, but that's because God's spirit is here. Imagine a world where none of that existed. That is a real place called hell, where the Bible says that those who reject God will be punished in a world where there is no comfort from God. And all of these glimpses of who he is in this world now do not exist. That's an awful and horrific consequence. But God is also the very defini de the definition of love, compassion, and mercy. And so even before the creation of the world, he came up with a plan to offer a way to be saved from that future. Since the fitting punishment for wanting to, to control our own lives without God was death, not only physical and earthly death, but also ultimate spiritual death and banishment from God's presence, Death had to be paid for humankind's breaking of that relationship with most holy God. The catch is that it would have to be the death of a perfect person, since any sacrifice on behalf of someone else cannot be paid for by someone who would also need that sacrifice on their behalf. And since no human that has ever existed has been sinless or unbroken, the sacrifice could not be a regular human. Who is the only being who is perfect, unbroken, and sinless? Jesus, what? God. So the second person of the Trinity of God came to earth as both God and man. God because he had to be sinless. 
and man because he had to pay for the sins of humanity. That God-man named Jesus, after teaching about who God really is and what his plan for humanity has always been, then willingly allowed himself to be arrested, beaten to a pulp, mocked and humiliated, made to drag his own splintery cross on his own ripped apart back, and then publicly executed on that cross, a Roman perfected instrument of torture and death. The Romans, upon risk of their own lives, if they weren't sure, made absolutely sure he was dead, or they would have to pay for that with their own lives. A man who would rather risk his own reputation in the world, a true follower of Jesus, receive permission by the Romans to take Jesus' body, prepare it for burial, and then bury Jesus in his own tomb. Three days later, on which we now celebrate as Resurrection or Easter Sunday, Jesus physically rose from the dead, still is that God-man, defeating that payment we as humans were held to, death. He now sits at God the Father's right hand, offering that gift of salvation from eternal death to any who would take it on their behalf. Accepting Jesus' gift of our payment on our behalf is not anything we have to work for or prove ourselves worthy of. All we have to do is take it. All we have to do is recognize that we're sinners, that we're broken, and that we're incapable of being restored to God on our own. All we have to do is tell God that we want nothing to do with that kind of life anymore. So we're accepting Jesus' gift of salvation from eternal banishment from him. And we want all of who he is, including him as our new life, our comfort in times of trouble, our eternal joy, our peace, and as our king. Then when all is said and done and we take our last breath here on this earth, we will know without a shadow of a doubt that we will wake up in the presence of Jesus. That is what the hope of Jesus' resurrection is all about. That is what Easter is all about. Knowing that even if we lost everything in this world and life, including those closest and dearest to us, that we will never lose God. He will never give up on us. He will never get rid of us. He will never lose us. He will be with us in the here and now through every circumstance, and he will be with us for all of eternity. And all of what I just talked about is summed up in this verse. For the wages, the payment of our sin is death. Not only earthly death, but ultimate spiritual death. But the free gift of God. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to prove ourselves worthy of it. God knows we're not worthy of it. Is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, as I close out this this morning, and I want you to be completely honest with yourself as you walk out from this place today. What is your faith really in? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it teaches us about life, the very basis of life. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here today who has not made that decision, who has not made that commitment to you, I pray that they would do that right here and now. 
that they would say, Lord, I know that I'm broken. I know that I'm a person of sin. I need you. I need all of who you are. I need your peace and your love and your comfort and your joy. I need to make you my king. Lord, I offer my life to you. Please take it and use it for your mission in ways that I can't even dream of. Lord, we thank you that you offer this free gift of salvation, of eternal banishment from you to us. No matter who we are, it doesn't matter what our past is, it doesn't matter how many times we've messed up. Lord, it, it, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We know that we can come to you and just give you who we are and know that you will take that and make that into something beautiful and tremendous. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity and this gift. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.